Please take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 138. And then we're going to look at a verse that is a good companion verse in the book of Acts, the 13th chapter. Psalm 138, the first line of verse 8, the last verse in the psalm. In the English Standard Version, reads this way. It says, The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. And the New American Standard translates it this way, a little differently. It gives us a different angle on this prayer of David. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Let me stop here just a moment. If you are a person who really wants your life to count, you would have a similar concern that was on the heart of David. When he says, the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. The idea of being concerned about something, for most of us, is having a little fretfulness and uncertainty about something. Isn't that true? Well, those of us who know the Lord are people who by virtue of our having redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, recognizing the incredible cost to secure our salvation. We want to do it right. I can't tell you how many times in my life, just in the last couple of years, as I'm out walking, pre-dawn walking and talking to the Lord, I would say, Lord, just help me get it right one time. Just help me get it right, Lord. David had that kind of concern. And if we know the Lord, probably we have had that concern too. We want to do it right. We don't want to let Him down, do we? We want to honor Him with our lives. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. I love that. I hope you do too. And I think you will even more as we look at this whole matter of the purpose of God together this evening. Now in Acts chapter 13, verse 36, Luke writes these words, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. So David's life obviously came to an end. And he fulfilled the purpose of God as God had promised him right up until the day he died. And because of that, think about David. How indebted we are to David. How many of the Psalms which are written were written through David. David says about himself in the book of Second Samuel, he says this, he says, My tongue has been a tool for your word. And he had a ready pen to go along with a ready tongue to be used by the Lord. So here's the question. What is God's purpose for you and me? Let me just make a general statement here. Life was created to be lived on purpose. It was not created to be wasted. In the book of Ephesians, the Bible says, Be very careful 
then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. That translates a phrase which literally translated would be redeeming the time. Buying up the time is the idea. Time is a precious commodity. All of us have 24 hours in a day. We are equal in that way, if no other way. If we know Christ, we're equal in our standing before the Father. But what a commodity time is. And we are to make the most of every opportunity that God gives to us. In Psalm 90, verse 12, this is what we read. Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. The idea of numbering would suggest a couple of things at least. To order our days and to prioritize our days. And we are to be men and women who fulfill the purpose of God. The purpose of God is spelled out very clearly in Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, where the Word of God says this. It says, God speaks, I have created you for my glory. Now that seems kind of mysterious, doesn't it? It's hard to get your hands around that or your mind around that. What does that mean to glorify the Lord? Well, it means, among other things, to boast in the Lord. The Bible says, in more than one place, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Brag about the Lord. Honor the Lord. Let your light shine in such a way through your life that He will be honored by your life. Wade Van Niekerk turned the racing world on its ear at the 2016 Olympics in Brazil. He did it when he won the 400-meter race for man. Now, that in itself was not so fantastic because someone was going to win the race. The race was going to be run, and it came down in the final race to eight men. When Van Niekerk made his way from his native South Africa across the Pacific, uh, excuse me, Atlantic Ocean, he was not considered to be the odds-on favorite. He was not the one that really wowed those who were aficionados of running that race or any other race for that matter. But he worked his way through prelim after prelim, and then he won. And this is how he won. He broke a 17-year-old world record, which most students of the 400 meters thought would never be broken. A Texan, Michael Johnson, in 1999, ran a 43.18. Now, that may mean nothing to you, but just think about it. That would be the equivalent of running each leg of the four legs of the 100 meters under 11 seconds. That is burning when you run like that. And nobody really thought that record would ever be broken. But Lee Kirk broke it, and he didn't just barely break it. He ran it in 43.01 seconds. He almost went below 43 seconds for that race. And do you know what happened at the end of the race? As would be the case after every race or every event where someone won the gold medal and some 
facet of the Olympics, the people would come, and especially in his case where he set a world record, and he was asked, what are your thoughts? And this is what he said, Jesus did it. That's what he said. It was not some sort of fakey put on deal. Jesus did it. Well, I think I saw you, Wade, in the starting blocks, and I think I saw you run that 400 meters. Wade, didn't you do it? Well, yes, he did do it. But he is a man who understands his purpose. His purpose is to glorify the Lord, to give God the credit, because it was God. He knew that. He knew it was God who gave him swift legs. He knew it was God who gave him the opportunity to develop the innate skill that God had built into him. And guess who his teacher was, by the way? Who his coach was? This is kind of neat. His grandmother was his personal trainer. And she was a woman and still remains a woman of God. She was the great influence on his life. Do we have any grandmothers in the room? Do you understand that you can be that kind of influence on your children's lives and your grandchildren's lives? Many times, when a parent cannot reach a child, a grandparent can reach a child. This man understood what the Scripture says in the book of 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You know what that means about everyone in this room who knows Jesus Christ? Your life matters. And whatever you do in the most mundane situation in your life, the most humdrum, dull part of your life, you are to do it in the name of the Lord for the glory of the Lord. That's our basic purpose. In the first creation, man was created to glorify the Lord. God's consistent. But what happened? We know what happened. Adam and Eve sinned. Created in the image of God to reflect the person of God. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means to be like God. Not in the sense of our physical being, but in the sense of the core of our being. God is a rational God. We who are humans are rational. We can think. We make decisions. God is also a relational God. There's a community we know as the Trinity within the Godhead. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they relate to each other. We are relational beings. Even the most shy person, the most introverted person in this room is a person who craves some relationship with another human being. And God, of course, is a responsible being. God the Father responsible to rule the world. God the Son responsible to redeem the world. The Holy Spirit of God responsible for revealing truth to us, particularly in the person of Jesus Christ and in the Word of God. So each of the members of the Godhead is rational, relational, and also a person who is responsible. Are we responsible too? Before sin entered the world, what did God tell Adam to do? He gave him an assignment to to name all the animals. Talk about a job. I'm sure it was a good job. 
It was terrific. But that was all marred when sin entered into the world. So it messed people up. So we really can't glorify the God unless something happens in our hearts. In our second creation, and we who know Christ, I hope you know when the Bible says we've been born again, that's not just fluff. That's really what happens when you come to know Christ. We are born from above, literally is what it means, which suggests we are dead, and we are, according to the Bible, in our trespasses and sin. But now Christ comes, and He reveals Himself to us. We receive Christ, and we are new. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any person is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In Ephesians 2.10, listen carefully. The Bible says we who have been born again, who were dead in our trespasses and sin, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Notice the way in which we are described. Created in Christ Jesus. First of all, we were created in Adam. We inherited his sinful nature. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. And then along comes Jesus and he died for us He took our punishment upon Himself on the cross, raised from the dead. And now the Bible says in the book of Romans, rather interesting, chapter 5, it says, we are now being saved by His life. He comes to indwell us and He infuses His very life. We are created in Christ Jesus. Jesus, according to Colossians 1.15, is the visible expression of the invisible God. In that same book, in the second chapter, the ninth verse, the Bible says this, In Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. In other words, you look at Jesus, Jesus is the one in whom God lived. Not just sort of lived, He lived in Jesus. Jesus is fully human and also God. He was God before He became a man. This is the clear teaching of Scripture. When one of the apostles of Jesus asked him, Lord, show us the Father, and this is enough for us. Do you remember what Jesus said? Philip, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Have I been so long with you, Philip, that you do not know who I am? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus says this, We're to become like Christ, really. And we have that capacity because He comes and lives in us. Jesus, shortly before He was arrested to be falsely accused and wrongly tried as a criminal, crucified, He's praying to the Father. He says, Father, I have glorified You on earth by doing, accomplishing the work which You have given Me to do. The Bible says, these are the words of Jesus again in John 13, 15, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So Jesus did something incredibly significant with the apostles. He saved them, sure. He's done that for us if we know Him. But He spent His prime time in the three years of His public ministry So much of it was devoted to those 12 men. When he says to the Father, I have accomplished, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Do you know what that work was? It was not the cross. 
the work that God had given him to do was to pour his life into those apostles. And that's what he did. And that's what we're to do. To look for opportunity as we follow Christ and imitate Christ. We're to glorify God in our second creation by caring for other people. When he came to do his work on earth, Jesus says, I have not come down from heaven to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That gives us a hint, a strong insight into what we are to be first. We're new creations. We can't make that up. We're dead. Something has to happen to us from the outside. That something was someone. Jesus Christ came. He saved us and He indwells us by His Spirit. Our work is to be the same as Christ, actually, because it's His work through us. In John 1:14, the Bible says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And of His fullness we have all received. Without exception, if you're in this room and you know Jesus, without exception, you have received all the fullness of God in Jesus Christ. That's pretty cool, isn't it? It's pretty overwhelming, too. Christ's work from beginning to end was a work of dependence upon God the Father. In John 5.19, I wish we could look at it, John 5.30, and then again in John 8.28, Jesus says this. He says, The Son of God can do nothing on His own initiative. I do nothing on my own authority. I do what I see the Father doing, and I say what I see hear the Father saying. And this is true for us too. We're told to fix our eyes on Jesus. The way we do that, we look at the Word of God, we listen to the Lord, we follow the Lord. And we too are people who are depending upon the God-man. That's the kind of work which we have been called to do. The book of John 6 Verses 28 and 29, a group of men came to Jesus and they asked him this question. Good teacher, what must we, must we do to do the works of Him who sent you? He said, what must we do to do the works of God? And then Jesus said simply, this is the work of God that you believe in Him who sent you. The work of God in general is believing in Jesus. Now, what does that mean? In John 15, Jesus talks about Himself in this way, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in Him bears much fruit. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Do you see the connection? We're to do as Christ did. What did Christ do to fulfill the mission which God gave Him? Jesus depended completely on the Father. What are we to do? Jesus says, you're to abide in me, you're to depend on me, you're to put your trust in me, just like a branch in a vine puts its trust in the vine. And the life of the vine comes through the branch and produces fruit. And when that happens in our lives, the fruit remains. The fruit glorifies God. And so, Jesus is our example. 
And we are to remember what he says in this whole matter of doing the will of God and glorifying him in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, I am the light of the world. And then he says, let your light shine in such a way, before men in such a way, that they may see your good work and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's always bothered me a little bit until a couple, three years ago as I was thinking of it. I thought we were not supposed to do our works before men to be recognized by them. In fact, in the next chapter, the first verse of Matthew 6, that's exactly what Jesus says. Don't practice your righteousness before men to be recognized by them. So how do I square what Jesus says earlier with that warning? Here's how. Remember what the good works are. The good works are works which really aren't our works. They're His works through us because we're depending upon Him. And when we have that understanding and we trust Christ, God will do things through us that we never dreamed He would do through us. He will give us what we need in every situation to act like He acts. It will be His working through me or His working through you. And then men won't be and women will not be impressed with you with me, but because we have done what we've done in dependence upon the Lord, they will be impressed with the Lord. Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. I love this. Listen. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. Now think about that. What does it mean to follow Christ? What it means is you keep your eyes on Christ and you imitate Christ. Many of you played Follow the Leader, as Simon says, or any games like that when you were a kid, and you had to keep your eyes on the leader, didn't you? Or else you were out of the game. We have to keep our eyes on the Lord and follow the Lord in this way. And the result is, he says, You will not walk in darkness. That's a symbol for sin. And the Scripture goes on to say that we will be men and women who will not simply avoid walking in the darkness, but we will be men and women who have Him with us all the way. We will have the light of life speaking of Himself with us. In Ephesians We've seen already the Bible says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which glorify our Father in heaven. Good works prepared beforehand so that we can glorify the Father when we couple that with Matthew 5, 14 through 16. The Bible says in Psalm 139, it says, All the days that were ordained for me were written in your book when as yet there was not one of them. This is David talking again to the Father. But I would say that's true for us. Every day of my life was envisioned by God the Father when He called me to be His child. And when did that happen, by the way? Before I was even alive. That's what the Bible says. God's purpose preceded the creation of the world for you and for me 
if we are His children. If anything would dignify a person, it would be that. That God thought before us, about us before He even created anybody. He had a vision for us, and that is spelled out in the Bible. The Bible says that Christ gave gifts to the church. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastor-teachers for the equipping of the believers, saints, so that they would be able to build up the body of Christ by doing the work of service. The work that God gives us to do, which glorifies Him, is oriented in two directions. First, to honor the Lord, glorify the Lord. He gives us spiritual gifts, according to 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11, in order to glorify Him, to put the spotlight on Him, and then also to build up the church. There has been a big lie which has been bought hook, line, and seeker by most believers in the West, at least. And that is that the work of the ministry is something reserved for pastors and missionaries and other people who are what are called vocational Christians. Well, that phrase is bad, too. We are all vocational Christians. What the word vocation means is your calling. What is our calling? Ephesians 4.1 is very clear. We are called as believers to live a life worthy of that calling. That would be to follow Christ. So, what the Lord would say to you and to me is we are to follow Him. Get on board with Him. Do what He calls us to do. What did Jesus say about Himself? He says that I came to seek and serve save the lost. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And what did we see earlier that Jesus says? I gave you an example that you should follow. So what does this life that honors the Lord look like? It looks like the Lord. It looks like a servant. Jesus said in that same section in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28, He said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you be the servant of law. Different way of looking at greatness, isn't it? God uses His Word for this. All Scripture is God breathed so that the person of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The same word equipped is used in Ephesians 4.11 that we looked at earlier. Gifting, spiritual gifts have been given to us. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, Mike, you don't know me. Um, just there's nothing worthwhile in me. And you know what I would say to that? You're right. You are. <laughs> you didn't expect that, did you? <laughs> it's true. You are, were it not for the presence of Christ in you. And this is what Paul writes in First Corinthians. He says, "Brothers, think of what you are were when you were called. Not many of you were." wise by human standards. Not many of you are influential. Not many of you are of noble birth. But God shows the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God shows the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
so that no one would boast before him. That's sort of a roundabout way of saying, so God gets the glory. So you think, I'm a zero. I said, wonderful. You're the best candidate in the room to be used for the glory of God. Because you won't get in the way. Because you just know there's nothing in me that's worth a hoot. You'll trust the Lord and watch the Lord work in your life. This is unbelievable. To think about the gospel and what the implications of it, and to couple it with this statement which David makes when he says, The Lord will fulfill His purpose. This is the key. His purpose for me. It's not about my purpose, my trying to figure it out. We spend so much time thinking about getting our lives in order so we can be successful or whatever. And as we finish now, and we're going to be worshiping in song together. Again, in Acts 13.36, where the Bible says, when God had fulfilled, notice the way it saved it, David's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. Until then... We are people who are to glorify God in our bodies. And why does that say that in the book of 1 Corinthians 6? Here's why. It's because we live the life of following Jesus in a human body, just like He lived His life in a human body. We do those good works in a human body. The Bible does say the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our flesh, that is our own self-will, and self-orientation, self-centeredness gets in the way. But we need to learn to die to that. And we need to let Christ rule in our lives. And if we do, there's nothing that God cannot do through a group of people or individuals that He assigns them to do. Nothing if they're willing to fully engage the Lord. And we're to enjoy it. Even if it's pretty miserable from the world's point of view, that's why I asked Dan to read Jeremiah 29.11 in the context. We know 29.11, what does it say? I know the plans I have for you, God says. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Whoa, that's awesome. But then, what had come before? He said, you're going to be in exile for 70 years. Get happy about it. I wouldn't have been the least bit happy. I'd been dead before I left there. There were people there who knew full well that they were not going to live 70 years. But what did he say? Bloom where you're planted is what he said. There's purpose I have for you in Babylon. I've sent you there so that you could be an agent of my holiness and glory there. And people will be changed because of you. It's great, isn't it? to know that God's purpose for us will come to pass. Are you concerned about the purpose for your life? Well, get on board. Follow Jesus. That's it. Don't complicate it. Just do what the Lord's called you to be and to do. Dependent totally on Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this look into Your Word about Your purpose. Thank You, Lord, that we're not here on accident. We didn't come from some primordially, primordial ooze somewhere. We are created by You. Thank You. We ask You to take control of our lives for Your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.